All right. If you want to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, and also there are sermon notes available on our website. So if you want to hop on your phone, um, I won't know if you're actually watching March Madness, so you can do that if you want. Uh, It is a basketball weekend at the Doe House right now. Um, A lot of exciting things happening in the basketball world. So the Phoenix Suns are good for the first time in like 10 years. And uh, for those of you who are just getting to know me, I am a diehard Phoenix Suns fan. And so the way to my heart is Phoenix Suns tickets, if you ever have any. But I am so excited because they're good. Um, Also, yesterday, my old alma mater won the state championship for high school basketball. So excited about that. And then March Madness, and March Madness um, has, is, is something that, it's like my favorite time of the year. Um, huge college basketball fan, uh, we've got our kids into it. I'm in this pool with like my brother's charity organization, so like you have to like send money to it, and then you know, it goes to a good cause, and you can win some too. Uh, you know, big pool, I'm in first place after the first round, so like I'm like fired up right now. Um, good basketball weekend, and I love basketball. I know a lot about basketball. Here's something I don't know a lot about, farming and uh, agriculture. And it's not something that has been a huge interest to me. I'm a, a West Coast city kid. Um, and the reason I, it, it, I, I, I say that is uh, Jesus, when he speaks of the kingdom of God, often is speaking to an agrarian culture. And so sometimes we come to these passages of Jesus, and there's a genre, and there's a, a context of who he's speaking into, and I'm like, I don't get it. I don't make, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And last week, we, we talked about the story of the, the parable of the sower, and I tried to explain it um, with my very limited knowledge of farming. Um, uh, but, but Jesus is using this very practical uh, farming language to communicate something about what he's up to in the world. And he's continuing those stories today. And in fact, as he starts to talk about, here's what the kingdom of God looks like, he tells two little stories um, about farming and about planting a seed. And he he speaks in these parables so the context understands this is what the kingdom of God is like. And so we're going to jump into those stories today. And my hope is to try to to explain it and unpack it um, in a way that um, has has an understanding of what what Jesus is, is calling us to wrestle with. Um, these stories are found in Mark chapter 4, following the parable of the sower. There's, there's a number of parables that Jesus tells. And starting in verse 26, he says this. Jesus also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. And all by itself, the soil produces grain, first the sock, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again, Jesus said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when it Planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that birds can perch in its shade. Could use some of that shade right now. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand, and he did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. 
I love what Eugene Peterson says in his paraphrase about this passage. He says, when he is alone with the disciples, he untangles and unties the knots of these teachings. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is uh, our understanding of it is it's heaven, right? It's this future destination when, when all is said and done and everything gets put back together. But Jesus says that this future destination is actually this present reality that's breaking forth right here and now. We catch glimpses of it. And in the life of Jesus, you start to catch glimpses of what that kingdom is all about. Here is the, the church, the body of Christ. We, we still see glimpses of this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. When, when everything is as, as God wants it, we live in this world where that's not true. Jesus' prayer is that, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're all about the work of this kingdom. So understanding this kingdom is essential. And Jesus uses this metaphor, this, the, the, the parable, to tell the story of here's what the kingdom is like. Like seeds planted. Two separate stories here that talk about the kingdom. The first one, there's a, a couple things we learn in this story. Uh, as he talks about the man who scatters seed, whether day and night, whether he sleeps or he gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. The man goes to sleep, and, and the life of the seed grows without him knowing it. It says he doesn't even know how that happens, actually. There's this mystery to how the seed grows. Now, we have you know, science in, in our world, and we have a deeper understanding of what's going on there. Um, but we think of like maybe him not knowing what's really happening is a negative thing. But I think what, what happens is there's this, this farmer that's planting a seed, and he understands that there's these forces that are outside of his control. He could do certain things um, that will make the seed grow, but really it's, it's nature. There's something outside of his control. And because of that, there's this sense of, of unknowing and wonder and trust. I do what I'm supposed to do, and then whatever the conditions are, this seed will grow. I don't even know how. There's a sense of wonder of how the world works. When it comes to the kingdom of God, uh, that God works in ways that are just outside of our control. There's this mystery. In fact, I, I think what Jesus is communicating here is that kingdom growth is a mystery. This world is, the way that God is at work, it's mysterious. As a pastor, I would hope to have you know, answers on how God works. And what I would say is I don't know always how God works, but I know that God works in ways that we don't always understand. God is at work in ways that seem hidden. God is at work in ways uh, that are outside of our realm of, of knowledge. And we are such a scientific people and we are such a religious people that we think we always have the answers. And I think what we see in the life of Jesus in these kingdom parables is that God just does things in this world that are mysterious. Sometimes we lose the wonder of how God works. Do we live with this sense of awe of God is up to something and I'm not really sure what's going on, but I know that he's at work. I can go to sleep tonight trusting that there's this God that is on the move at work in the world. Understanding the mystery of God is important for, uh, I, I think, for our culture because we're cynical people. We're skeptical. We can ask good questions and shred things apart. And like me, I find myself a very cynical person. I call myself recovering cynic. Makes it hard to uh, believe in this God of, of the miraculous, the God of mystery, the God that is up to something all the time, even when I don't understand it. I want to, to control what God is doing. There's a sense of wonder in who he is and what he's up to. 
great book, theology book, uh, written by this man named G.K. Chesterton. It's called Orthodoxy. If you like a really slow, early 1900s British language read, uh, Orthodoxy is for you. But this man, G.K. Chesterton, was a social critic. He was an author, a a poet, a, a, a theologian. And uh, dealing with the Age of Enlightenment, you know, early 1900s in, in England, uh, he writes orthodoxy as a response uh, to, to someone's challenge, someone who is challenging Christianity and what we, what we believe as, as followers of Jesus and going after Chesterton. And he writes that, you know, like his, this whole book is his attempt to respond to this person who's a philosopher and, and, uh, and, and, and challenging Christianity. And he says, I, I, I have considered all of the questions that were brought up by this philosopher and all of the things that he is attacking about Christianity. And, and I've considered that and I've looked at the world and I've studied. And he said, what, I've, what I think that I've, I've come to this, this realization, this, this aha moment of, of discovering something that's true about the world. And he said, and it's orthodoxy. What, what Christians have believed for thousands of of years, And he's like, I like to say that I discovered it for the first time, but really I've just discovered something that is timeless and has carried on through generation after generation. And he says to take pride in saying that I've discovered what this truth is would be like me selling on a yacht from England over the English Channel into France and saying, aha, I've discovered Europe. But he says what, what really brought me back to this orthodoxy is this, is, is, he, is that I've looked at nature, there's... There's something wonderful about the ordinariness of life. There's something that, that as you look at the ordinary, you could think this, this world feels lifeless. It feels repetitive. There's this, these seasons. The sun comes up. The sun goes down. It, it's so ordinary. But he said, the more I considered the ordinariness of life, the more I was filled with the wonder of what, that there, there had to have been some God that was behind all of this. He makes a bunch of quips like I would look up at the stars and I would see how they were crowded in the sky and it was like they were just begging to be explained. And he's, I, I would see an elephant and you see the trunk of an elephant and it's so strange, but when you see a herd of elephants and they all have that strange hunk trunk, it, it seems like they're plotting something. Like there, there's this mystery in just the, the ordinariness of nature. And sometimes as really smart people who have all of life figured out, we miss that. He says these famous words in orthodoxy and talking about the sun and the repetitiveness of it rising and falling. He says, now to put the matter in a popular phrase, it might be true that the sun rises regularly because the sun never gets tired of rising. This routine might be due not to lifelessness, but to a rush of life. The thing I mean can be seen, for instance, with children. They find some sort of game or joke that they specially enjoy. A child kicks legs rhythmically through excess, not absence of life, because children have the abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. We've experienced that with our kids. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be an automatic necessity that makes all, he makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but he never gets tired of making them. 
It may be that he has the eternal appetite for infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Goes on to say, in short, I had always believed that the world involves some sort of magic. And now perhaps there must be a magician. And this pointed to the profound emotion always present in the subconscious that this world of ours has a purpose. And if it has a purpose, there is a person. And I've always felt that first life is first as a story. And if it's a story, there's a storyteller. And in the ordinariness of life, in the repetitiveness of life, G.K. Chesterton says, I found the wonder that there was this creator behind it all. There was this God who was in charge. Sometimes we get down, stuck in the mundane of life, get stuck in the routine. We wonder where God is. It's like we have lost that, that childlike faith that children have where they just they enjoy the routine of life. They find something that they just do over and over again. We get old. We get calloused hearts. We, we stop to, to wonder what God is up to. And in a culture that is cynical, I want this to be just a value of who we are as a church, that we live in awe and wonder of how God works in this world, that we are open to the, the work of God, even in ways when we don't understand it, like a seed that's planted in the ground. There's a hiddenness to it, and yet God is working. I wonder, when was the last time that you have been filled with wonder of God's work in this world? When you have been filled just with awe that God was up to something that surprised you, that brought life. Maybe it's something that was old and ordinary that all of a sudden just took on new meaning. A deep sense of awe and wonder. I don't know how God always works, but I know that God's working. When Jesus says, the kingdom of God is on hand, and this is what the kingdom is like. It's like the seed that's planted in the ground. And the farmer who is an expert in growing seeds still has no idea what's going on here. There's this trust that something bigger is at play. As a church, I want us to, to lean into that wonder and mystery. The second thing, so if, if the kingdom growth is a mystery, the second thing that this parable tells us is that it's also a certainty. It's a mystery, and yet it's also a certainty. God is always at work in the hiddenness and the things that feel dead and dormant and the things that feel like they're asleep. God is constantly working, always at work. The, the farmer is called to do a couple things. He scatters the seed. There's this faithfulness that he knows that he's supposed to do this. There's this patience of just waiting on God, on God, letting God do his work in the midst of that darkness, in the midst of that seed being buried into the ground. N.T. Wright, uh, a great New Testament scholar, talks about there's this element of resurrection to this story. The kingdom of God is about things that are in the ground that come back to life. And there's this patience for the farmer as he waits. And there's this hope that, that at some point there will be this harvest. And the farmer knows to wait for that harvest. There's a certainty to the work of God that he's always at work in this world. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that. Like you throw seeds in the ground, they're going to grow. I'm reminded of this with the weeds in my backyard every time about this time of year. In fact, 
uh, one of the first projects we did as a, as a church together was a service project where we were just pulling weeds all over campus. That was a couple of months ago. I just noticed the other day that like all the weeds are back. Like there's that, it's like death and taxes and termites. Like the weeds just keep coming back. There's this certainty that they come back again. The farmer knows that when you throw these seeds in the ground, there's a certainty that there, there's something going on underneath the surface. God is at work. There's a call to faithfulness and patience and hope. In this first story, the kingdom growth is it's a mystery, and yet there's a certainty to it. God is at work even here and now in the midst of this global pandemic, in the midst of everything that we have faced this year. God is doing something inside of us. Second story is about a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. An interesting metaphor that's used here. Uh, mustard seed used oftentimes even with Jesus. Uh, it, it's the proverbial, it's just the smallest thing. It's something that is just tiny. And yet there's so much potential to this tiny seed. It's small, seemingly insignificant. Um, you could say that the kingdom it, it could act this way, that there's this hud- humble, hidden unexpectedness to how God works in this world. It starts very small. At one point, Jesus uses this imagery when he talks about having the faith of a mustard seed. There's, it's something that is small inside of you, but it can grow and it can expand. And when you look at the mustard seed plant, that's what it does. Is it, this, there's so much potential to just, uh, it, it grows in this unstoppable force. Oftentimes, kingdom movements start in very small, humble situations. For Desert City, we had started that church um, in, in my living room on a Sunday night, we had this gathering called Bread and Wine. There were about 12 people that came together, and we would take communion and just pray, and just pray for our community. Oftentimes, kingdom movements start with something small. After not being around people for a long time, this actually feels really big, but we might have 100 people here, 150. This is still the small community, but I believe God's doing something in this community that is just loading it with potential that this great kingdom work will happen in this hopeful, patient, faithful group of people that are gathered, that are tuning in uh, to what God is up to. The kingdom, uh, the mustard seed tells us that this is how the kingdom begins. It often always begins this in something very small, very humble, something that, that is, just seems in, insignificant. And yet it's loaded with potential. There's that great line from Ralph Waldo Emerson that says, the creation of a thousand forests is in one acorn. The kingdom has this way that it works in something small, and then it multiplies and grows and expands. The mustard seed tells us this is how the kingdom begins, but this is also how the kingdom builds. Because the mustard seed plant grows into this huge plant. It's actually a a bush they would say that in, in Jesus' day, the, the mustard seed was like a weed. In fact, in some places in Palestine, it was illegal to grow because once these things were planted, they would just consume a whole garden. So it's, I don't want to say like the church is like a weed, but like the, the church is something that can just, it just takes off. It just, it grows and it's unstoppable. You see this in the life of the church with Jesus and his disciples as it starts with 12 and 120 that were in this circle and goes to 500. And there's this cadence in the book of Acts where God's doing this great work and it says at the end of each story, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see this explosive growth of the kingdom that's moving through the Roman Empire so that by the fourth century, there's something like half of the empire has been become disciples of Jesus. 
something exciting is happening behind me. I hope that's laughter, not terror. But you see this in, in different places in the world, like China, where the church just expands. And, and, and the kingdom work isn't church growth, but it's, it's followers of Jesus that it just expands. This is how the kingdom builds. And then the mustard seed also tells us is this is how the kingdom blesses the world. This is how it begins. This is how it builds with an explosive growth. And this is also how it blesses. There's this little line that the, the mustard seed grows into this great plant that the, the birds of the air come, perch, eat, find shade, find rest. Jesus is actually drawing from some Old Testament imagery here. For the, for the Old Testament, they had this idea that that the, the, the kingdoms of this world, the great kingdoms, were like these trees. And in fact, when the, the Israelites are in exile and, and to the Babylonians, uh, one of the great Babylonian kings has this dream of this great massive tree that can be seen from everywhere. And the branches go out and birds and from all over the world come and they perch in the branches and there's beasts of the field that come and they're underneath the tree. And he's trying to understand what this dream meant and Daniel comes forward and he explains it. And he's like, you are that tree. And the king's like, this is awesome. And he goes, and God's going to cut that tree down. And he's like, oh, no. But it develops this language that, that was found throughout the Old Testament of a tree sprouting branches that, that were the kingdoms of this world. Uh, in fact, in, in Ezekiel, there's this language as well or this, this cedar that grows and the branches go out and birds, birds represent the nations, people from everywhere that come and they perch on the branches of this tree. And as Jesus tells the story about the mustard seed, what's, what's interesting about that detail is the mustard seed doesn't actually grow into a tree. It grows into this big bush. There was something kind of tongue-in-cheek here where he was saying, you're expecting a type of kingdom that is like this mighty oak, but the kingdom of God's very different than what you're expecting. The, the, the mustard seed doesn't grow up, it grows out, and it spreads throughout a garden. And yet, birds come and perch. The kingdom of God is for people from every nation. The kingdom of God is for people of every race and ethnicity, every nationality. The kingdom of God is a different kind of kingdom than what the kingdoms of this world expect. It looks different and yet it grows and it has influence. Here at this church, as we think about what God is doing, we want to be a place for all people. A place for people here in this community from whatever the background is, whatever your race, ethnicity, nationality, that this would be a place where people would find shelter and food and rest but also that this would be a church that would reach out, that would reach out through all the world with this message of the kingdom of God, this present reality, this future destination. This is how the kingdom of God blesses. It's like a mustard seed. It starts small. It grows and it expands at an unstoppable force, and it blesses the world. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. There's this humble beginning, but God is at work. And what does that mean for us as we consider our mission, our vision as a church? I want us to have an openness to the wonder of God, what he's up to in this world. Understanding that God is at work in ways that we can't fathom and understand, but that he is at work. Let's lean into the wonder. Let's be open to the surprising things that God has for us. 
Let's have a faith of certainty that there is something that's happening, that God continues to build his kingdom, to build his church, even in the midst of what we've experienced this last year. God hasn't stopped working. Let us have the the trust in God for that. Let us understand that whatever these humble beginnings are, that that whatever we are up to in a church, uh, in this church, that it has loaded with potential to be a fruitful plant that would be something that blesses other people. Tim's going to come back up and uh, close us with just some, some uh, time of worship to reflect on these words from Jesus. But this kingdom that Jesus calls us to, he asks those who are following him to be faithful, to be patient, to be hopeful be a part of a kingdom that looks different than the kingdom of this world. We do that as we we give our lives to Jesus. We do that as we surrender our agenda, our will, the way we think that things should be. We say, God, do some sort of work in me the way that you have done throughout this, the, the, the history of this church. It always starts small. It always starts within, and it flows out of us. We come to Jesus, and we humbly surrender and say, Lord, do your work. I may not understand it. I may not know what you're up to, but continue to do your work in me.